are redeemed people. We are people that have been saved by Jesus Christ, who have been called by God to make His good news in the world. And we want to realize that if we want to prepare our hearts, what are the things that we need to do as a church? What are the things that we need to do as followers of Jesus Christ to prepare ourselves so that we can be incredible blessings to our family and to the world around us? So but in order to get there, we are going to look at my favorite topic, which is family dysfunction this morning. Are you excited about this? Okay. All right. So, Gerald, let's, uh, let's, let's bring up, I have a family fun chart that we are going to meander our way through this morning. And if you have a Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 37. And really, you could go to any blind spot in the Old Testament and find family dysfunction. Wait. Um, actually, okay, that's perfect. No, that's great. Okay, so you can go anywhere in the Old Testament to find family dysfunction, but I chose um, the story of Joseph. So if you don't know where Joseph fits, there's Abraham, right? Father Abraham and many kids. Abraham had a son Isaac. Isaac had a son Jacob. Jacob um, had 12 sons. His 11th son is Joseph. And that's where, um, that's where we're going to begin the story because Joseph had a, a, Thanksgiving, a childhood Thanksgiving moment where he was on top of the world. According to Joseph in his world, life could not be any better. So let's start our story in Genesis 37. Genesis 37, verse 2, begins like this. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Now Joseph, a young man of 17, he was tending the flocks with his brothers and the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zippah, his father's wives, and he brought them, and he brought to their father a bad report about them. But now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. This should give you an indication right away. There is trouble brewing. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other sons because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made an ornate robe for him. But when his brothers saw that his father loved him more than any of them, they hated him, and they could not speak a kind word. Now it's funny, the older brothers, they knew there was a problem. But Joseph, he did right. He was Jacob's favorite kid. He loved life. His dad loved him. His mom loved him. And his dad gave him this huge robe. And man, the whole world loves him, right? And then he has these dreams that his brothers are going to bow down to him. It's like, this is like he is on the top of the world. Okay, so over here, we have our family fun flow chart. And so all of us on our family fun flow chart begin up here with our family of origin. All right, that's where we begin. And this is Joseph's um, beginning of his story. And all of our families of origin, you know what's interesting, it doesn't matter how great or awful it is, when you were five, when you were seven, it's your only family that you know. And you love it, because you don't know there's anything different. Um, a few years ago, we took a bunch of middle school kids to uh, Hume Lake, and, uh, and, and like, like at camp, what happens, the camp speaker starts talking, and they're trying to get kids to be all emotionally engaged, and they're talking about how awful life is, but Jesus is there for them. But middle schoolers are in this weird spot because they don't know that life is awful. Like, some of them are beginning to figure out life is awful, but the bulk of them don't know yet. Right? And so one of our, one of our uh, leaders, he's a young man, he's like 22 or so, and he sits down, and we have our small group time where we want to sit down and get deep with the kids, you know? And they start going around to all the kids saying, man, what's going on? You know, what's a challenge you're going through? What's a trial? And they're all like, and this is guys, like girls to maybe it's a little bit different, but middle school boys, it's a whole different ballgame, right? And they're like, uh, homework, uh, what he said. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and that's kind of a guy's smart, but that's how it works. And, and this leader, who's like this 22-year-old, he's super passionate. He realized that God's grabbed a hold of his heart. He's like, no, no, listen. You know middle school is the worst time of your life. You know it's so bad, so let's just be 
they don't know it, right? <laughs> when you're an adult, you look back and you're like, those were the worst years of my life. But if you're in it, you didn't know, right? And so a lot of times when we think of our family of origin, no matter how great your family was, no matter how awful your family is, um, as a kid's perspective, it starts out in a pretty high moment. That's all you know. Even if you're like, oh man, my parents, parents lock me in the closet every day. They just really love me and want to protect me. Right? You don't know until later when you share that to your friends that that's not maybe the best thing, right? So we start out with the idea of family of origin. All right. Right now we love pumpkin spice lattes, but here is where it turns, okay? So what happens after you begin to become self-aware, you become, you become, uh, you get a little older, you get a couple hiccups, and you realize life is not all that it's supposed to be. Now I'm going to spell this wrong, but you can't read my handwriting, so it's okay. So right here, you begin this big dip. You have some sort of experience, and you end up having uh, this, I'm going to write it. That way you can't tell you. So that's disillusion. Disillusionment, that you had an illusion for your family, you now wake up and you realize my family is not all that it's supposed to be. And boy, Joseph had this happen to him. And unfortunately for Joseph, what happened to him, it, it happened way too quick. Most of us, we have a, a, a kind of a long run but Joseph gets this coat, and like the next day this happens. So Joseph, he's going out after his brothers, and he, he's, wearing, you know, he's with his coat, he's his brothers are tending sheep. He runs after them and says this in verse 17. So Joseph went after his brothers and he found them near Dothan. But when he saw them in the distance and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Now poor Joseph, he has no idea, right? He's in my family of origin life. Life is so great. But his brothers hate his guts because they have already been disillusioned. And there he says, verse 19, here comes the dreamer. They said to each other, come now. And let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. And then we'll see what happens of his dreams. Now hopefully you've had bad siblings, but not like that. I mean, that I think is the lowest of the low. But imagine Joseph, right? He's starting out thinking, man, my mom loves me. My dad loves me. I'm being taken care of. And then he enters this awful reality. Right? The awful reality is that his brothers hate him to the point that they didn't only want to murder him, they thought, no, that's not fun, let's sell him at least, because then we will get some money and we can spend that on whatever he wants. And then he begins this 14-year journey, right, where he is just destitute and isolated and alone. And I would imagine having to do some serious rethinking about his family story, right? And what happens is for many of us, um, the disillusioned place, I mean, all it takes is every 15-year-old, every 17-year-old, um, they are like in full disillusionment. Um, they think that you used to be their parent, you used to be the hero, and now you are the biggest morons, you're the biggest idiots. Um, my wife's parents, uh, it's funny, they said this, because my wife is so precious, if you know my wife Katie, right? She's so precious, she's so empathetic, and she's so kind. And her dad's like, mm, from 18 to 25, you were pretty much the worst person on the planet. <laughs> oh, right? Because like, when you go off to college, you are now the smartest person, your parents are morons, you don't know anything, right? Because you're starting to realize that what, how things used to be are no longer there. And disillusionment can really mess people up. It really messes us up. It's really hard to think that your dad, who was your hero, is just this frail, broken person, right? Your mom, who was the most glamorous, kind-hearted person, had this whole backstory of awfulness that you had no idea about. And those things start to percolate. They start to show up. And it's real life. And, um, and then what happens is, what do we then do with that? What do we do when, we, when the picture that we had of this perfected family system begins to be disillusioned? Um, what's happening right now? I'm, I'm watching my kids look at me 
and I can see they're on the verge of disillusionment. They're on the verge of being like, I cannot believe you made me come to church at 7 a.m. this morning to help set up chairs. I know I'm watching him realize because I'm not kind when I'm at home. <laughs> so on this family front chart, right, we have our family of, of origin, and then we have this disillusionment. And what happens is, at this disillusionment, we, we can kind of go on two different paths. We can crash and burn forever and ever and ever, or we can kind of take a turn. And what's so great about the Christian story is the Christian story says, hey, listen, while we were yet sinners, while we are in this process of crashing and burning, while we are in the process of being these prideful, egotistical people doing whatever we want, is at that moment that Jesus came and he died for us. And there's this, there's this discipline of reflection, there's this discipline of moving towards Christ that allows us to move from the bottom of this pit up towards the top. And what's interesting is that the, the movement there is not really that glorious, because I, I wish it would be like, I wish it would be glorious, but instead it's this. It's examine your dysfunction. Can I get an amen for that? Yeah. yeah. Examine your dysfunction. That's right. You're right. <laughs> we're, we're the dreamlanders. Oh, I love it. Well, what's interesting is, so if we want to get out of this disillusionment, because the disillusionment is really getting a clear picture of what is really going on. You had it because that means that your family of origin, your eyes through your childhood eyes, was an illusion. Right? You only saw part of what you saw. The disillusionment is taking away that veil. And now you have to figure out what are you going to do to process this information. Um, so, I imagine Joseph, right? He's a, he, uh, he, he's, he had a, a rough go. He gets sold to slavery. He goes to Potiphar, uh, this, this Egypt, uh, Egyptian um, you know, noble person. He's working for him, and he's moving up the ranks. He's feeling like, I'm, I'm, making, I'm making a name for myself. Life is starting to go well. Potiphar's wife does this. I would imagine she's beautiful. She hits on him. She tries to like, you know, take him to bed, but she's like, man, okay, I guess I have to serve her. But he doesn't. For some reason, he says no, and he gets in big trouble with the ends of going to jail, right, again. And so he takes this other huge pit. And I usually found, at least for me, that that first big pit of light, that's not enough to like finally wake up. You know, you usually need to hit the bottom a couple different times. And so I imagine it's the second time where he starts to realize, what is going on? How did I get here? What is going on with my family? Why do my brothers hate me? Because he wouldn't know at 17 why they hated him. What was interesting is, somehow, however the story got told, eventually he found out the truth that his brothers hate him because he is the son of Rachel. And Rachel is the one who captured Jacob's heart. And so here we are in Genesis, uh, we're going to go back to 29, and it says this. So Jacob, right, Jacob, um, first of all, Jacob's a dirtball, which I don't understand why he's like this noble God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He had to change his name to Israel because everyone's like, Jacob was a dirtball, right? He was total Canadian and a conniving all the way from the beginning. He took his brother's birthright. Um, you know, his mom says, you know, trick your dad. He's like, okay, I'm going to trick my dad. He goes off to, uh, to, to his uncle's labans and, and he begins to, you know, raise flocks and he finds this total dirtball way to take, you know, take more of the flocks. He's just like this manipulative dirtball all the way through. Um, but while he's there, he, uh, he's at Laban's house and he sees Rachel, Laban's daughter, who's this beautiful, beautiful woman. He's like, ah, I love you. I'm going to marry you. I'm going to do whatever it takes. And Laban, who's also a dirtball, says, all right, well, here's the deal. Work for me for seven years, then you can marry Rachel. He's like, easy. 
And scripture says those seven years went by like a flash, which you can imagine, right? All that longing and all those poetry and letter writing, those seven years fly by. And uh, so the time comes for the wedding, and, uh, and what happens, right, if you know this story, it's so awesome, you can make like a, a you can't make a Hallmark movie about this, this is like an HBO movie at this point, you know? And so what happens is, um, he gets drunk at the wedding, and, uh, and he wakes up the next morning and realizes his, he got married to Leah. And she had like dark eyes, cloudy eyes. I wonder if he'd probably have a big nose or something. You know, she just wasn't very beautiful, but she was the oldest woman, oldest daughter. He marries Leah, and he is so mad. He's so mad. And he gets this big fight with Laban, and Laban goes, listen, I know I tricked you, but i got to get the older daughter married first. They have this whole like interaction. And then he says, he says, listen, go through the honeymoon deal, and then you can marry my wife, Mary and Rachel. And this is what scripture says. And Jacob did so. So he finished the week with Leah, and then Laban gave his daughter Rachel for him to be his wife. Laban gave his servant uh, Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her attendant, and Jacob made love to Rachel also. And his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah. And he worked for Laban another seven years. In that one little sentence, his love for Leah was so, I mean, his love for Rachel was so much greater than his love for Leah. Right? And then you just see how that sin, that brokenness just begins to, you know, work its way into the whole family. Leah has all these kids. And Jacob still loved Rachel more. And then when Rachel has Joseph, the woman, his dream woman, the woman he's written every song about, finally has a son, Joseph, of course he's going to love him so much more. But imagine all these other brothers, right? And also you begin to realize there is some awfulness going on. So this, this leads us to the next part of our journey. So if we are on this road of disillusionment, the only way we get out is if we examine your dysfunction. How fun is that? I didn't know how to spell this something like this. So, the only way out, the only way out of disillusionment is that we actually have to do the hard work of examining our dysfunction. Every single one of us who've shown up here come from a family of origin that is not perfect. And people intentionally and unintentionally have steamrolled all over us. Here's the awful part. You have intentionally and unintentionally steamrolled all over people. All we do is hurt each other. That's just what sin and brokenness does. And I love this idea that the way that we get through is we have to be humble people and recognize that we are sinful, we're rebellious, we're broken, we're dysfunctional people. And it's not until we recognize that we're dysfunctional people that we can even begin to be on this upward path towards redemption, towards holistic, towards this holistic life that God has for us. And we don't see it so much in Joseph, but at least the whole testimony of Scripture says it a little more clearly for people like me to understand. But in Psalm 139, the very end, the David says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Right? Reveal if there's any offensive way in me and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Right? We all think we want to be good people. We all pretend to be good people. But Scripture is so clear, right? That is, while we were sinners, while we were sinful, um, rebellious people at the very pit of our disillusionment, while we were good for nothing, it's at that moment that Jesus came in the incarnation, died for our sins, heals us from our brokenness, and sends us along this path of everlasting life. But this idea of examining our dysfunction is brutal work. For some reason, the church, we should be the best at it, but we like put on the best face for each other. But we should be the, the masters of this because we know that we're sinful people. We know that we're broken people. We know that we need a Savior. And we've experienced and are beginning to experience Jesus' healing and a holistic transformation of happening in us. So this idea of this exam, you examine our dysfunction. 
And I love it in uh, James, he says this too, that we're supposed to confess our sins to one another, and then we'll be healed. This work that we do is not just a private work, it's a work that we do in community, it's a work that we do in friendship, it's a work that we do with therapists and spiritual directors and pastors. It is a work that we have to do, because if we don't, then we are in this death course of disillusionment. But for those of us who are on this path, we have illusion to disillusionment, and then we're willing to do the hard work, examine our dysfunction, and make space for Jesus to actually heal us and redeem us. Then we get to the best part. Alright, which again, I don't know how to spell. And the last part is redemption. Alright. Um, excuse me. I love this idea of redemption because I think our theology gets a little messed up. We think God makes all things new. He kind of makes all things new. But really what he's done is he's making you new. He's making a new version of you. He's not making you back to the old way you were, new and perfect like a little new or maybe. He's making this broken, dysfunctional person of you new. A new and redeemed thing. It is an incredible gift that God sees each and us, each and every one of us in our own individual greatness and awfulness. And he's like, I got a plan. I got a plan to shave off some of those rough edges because I need you to be my vessel in wherever God's planted you. And I love that Joseph comes to this realization in uh, Genesis chapter 50, the very end, the very end of all this, right? The way that God redeems Joseph's story is he, he ends up, he goes to prison, he has these dreams, and he ends up rising again to power in Pharaoh's home this time, not Potiphar's home, Pharaoh's home. And he becomes one of the most important and powerful people in all of Egypt. And he has this dream that there's going to be this famine throughout Egypt, and Pharaoh, because he trusts and listens to him, and Pharaoh ends up saving up all this food and resources, so when the famine comes, all those neighboring areas come to his home, come to Pharaoh to come and be fed. Well, Jacob and all of his sons are one of those families who are experiencing the famine, and they come and they stand before Joseph. It is this incredible story. And if Joseph was on this dissolution train, he could have leveraged all his power, murdered all his brothers right there on the spot. I feel like that's what I would be tempted to do. But because Joseph is this redeemed man, somewhere along the way, God grabbed a hold of him, and he understood who God is and what God was doing. This is what he says to his brothers, because they're so scared he's going to kill them. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? For you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Oh, that you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. And I think if we're honest, all of us have experienced intentional and unintentional harm that has almost devastated us. If we're willing to be really honest, we've done that to other people as well. But God in His goodness takes those things and uses them for, the, for His good. Like how wild this group of dysfunctional people God longs for you to be made whole, to be redeemed, and to be used to offer life and grace and mercy to your spirit of influence. What good news is that? Not that you need to be perfect, not that you need to go back and fix everything that you've broken because you can't be the redeemed version of yourself. Now, this is the, the normal family flow. I have one last thing that I'd just like to offer, and I get that I'm preaching to the choir because you're actually here at church, but the truth, the truth is, you're going to know people like this, and some of you are hitting these sorts of people. But this family flow chart doesn't work just for your family of origin, it actually works for your faith history. Right? Many of us have had these encounters with God when we were little, 
we stop. Isn't God so good? Isn't it so great to be a king and make marshmallows and hear about how much Jesus loves you and the flannel graph and VBS and all the goodness and camp, you know, all so good. And you have this moment and you encounter the goodness of God who is so great. But whether it's you or it's definitely people in our world, they've experienced this disillusionment with the church and with their faith. And God did not show up the way they wanted to show up. God's people, for sure, did not show up the way they wanted them to show up. And there are so many people, and maybe you right, who are disillusioned in their faith, who are deconstructing their faith, who are just chipping away, chipping away, chipping away, because they're trying to figure out what is the real there. Because I have this childhood version of it, and it's not matching this current version. And that's a real journey, a real journey that is challenging, both to you, but for sure, for so many people that we know. And so, in the same way, we have to be on this journey to own this journey of illusionment to disillusionment, to actually do the work of recognizing and wrestling with the church's dysfunction. And as a church leader, I'm not lying, I do not like this part of the journey at all. But looking at dysfunction, right, that's what you're doing. You're looking at when you're a kid, you realize, man, my dad, yep, he's broken, he's done all these things, but he's also these, he's all these great things. I'm all these things because of my dad, and he invested in me in these ways, right? It's looking at the whole picture. And we have to be willing to recognize that the church has done really incredible things. This partnership with IJN that we're doing, right? Those are Christians. It is Christians, people who love God, who are on the front lines of fighting human trafficking all over the world. Right? That's Christians doing those things. That's pretty incredible. And there's Christians saying and doing really stupid things in your world and in our world as well. And we have to be okay to call that out. To say that's not okay. To say that's wrong. You're on the wrong side here. To fight. That's what it works to work through our dysfunction. And what happens is we have friends who are disillusioned and we don't let them call out dysfunction. We will never help our friends get to the other side. It's a scary thing, but thankfully the church has been around way longer than us little gathering right here, right? In 200 years from now, we will all be long gone and the church of Jesus Christ will continue to prevail. So we need to be open-handed and let people be on their journey. And if you're on that journey, to be on that journey. But it is an intentional work to get past disillusionment into dysfunction. And once you can do that journey, man, you are on the path towards redemption. Because I'll tell you what, our culture, this moment, needs Christians who are whole and who are redeemed and who have done the work. People in your world and my world need to know the goodness of God's love and grace and mercy, and many of them can't see it because of their disillusionment. And you have the opportunity to help them walk through that. And so as we get ready for the holidays, we, as Christians, want to do the hard work to make sure we know and love God, to wrestle with our disillusionment, to make space for God to heal our dysfunction and to be redeemed. And over the next four Sundays, we're going to look at what are some actual things that we can do to make sure our heart is soft and prepared and ready to love our family, our dysfunctional family, and whoever we may share the holidays with.